chapter 8, verse number 20 is where we're going to pick it up today. And I, can you imagine being in a world where Noah comes out, he's, you know, the flood's over, and there's nobody on the face of the earth but him and his family. And I mean, I can you imagine the difference in the, the topographic, the geographical, I mean, everything has totally changed. And I can't imagine that. I really can't. But he's, 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 he's coming to a new world. Amen. Uh, verse number 20, Noah built an altar on the Lord and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So you see this issue we talked about in, in, in Bible class this morning about offerings. It's all the way through. He offered a what kind of offering? A burnt offering. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. Those are things that we looked at in Leviticus this morning, chapter 1. And, uh, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore everything living as I've done. And I want to give you an encouraging verse against all the climate activists and the, and the, and the yeah. Al Gore's and the polar melt people, the, the not, you know, I mean, doomsday, you know, these doomsday people, aren't they so stupid? And, and little Greta, bless her heart. <laughs> you know, she sat in that little classroom and was filled with that garbage. And then they used her as a little puppet. And she's went out and parented all their lives. And now she's having to eat all her stupid predictions that they told her. Al Gore said, you know, the polar ice cap was going to melt by what was it? You know, by 2001 or something like that. I want you to look at this verse and keep you from worrying, okay? For while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So don't worry about climate change. It's amazing how they changed it from global warming to climate change. Well, I got news for them. The climate's been changing for long. It it changed in Noah's day, amen? God does not want you worrying. And he gave you a promise right there that as the earth remaineth until this thing's over with, you you can plant a seed and it'll come up if you don't plant it too deep. But anyway, we've got to use a little sense there. Now, chapter nine, we're going to get into some things today that affects things. Now, uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, you're the salt of the earth. And salt means that you affect things, that you preserve and you influence things. Okay. And our forefathers really took this to heart in that they knew that Christianity should affect culture and should affect government. It should affect every area of your life. And, uh, and they, they believe this. And that's, what, that's why you have the Christian foundation to this nation that you have. Because they just didn't cluster in little churches and talk about nice any things in heaven. They went out of their church and they made a difference in every arena of life that they were in. Whether that was farming, uh, law, medicine, education, it didn't matter. They took the Bible and the Bible as a basis foundation of life and they took it out into the arena of life that they lived in. And it it made the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Now, Verse chapter number nine, Noah, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Now your secular humanist, uh, can I get one of you boys to, to, to move this, uh, that white thing over there? I may need that pretty soon. If you don't care, a couple of you move that over and, and erase what I'm scribbling up there. And, and he, said, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Isn't it amazing? The world doesn't even like that. Right, right. Uh, the, all, the world's all about abortion, birth control and euthanasia and killing people. And um, I'll tell you one thing, I'm glad for babies in this church, amen, even if we do have four girls in one Sunday. <laughs> Verse number three, now watch this, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb which I have given you all things. Now evidently before the flood, they did not eat meat, okay? Now, uh, there's some things we'll get into. But flesh with life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. Now, I I don't want to have a fuss with you about eating rare steak. But I tell you, I want that animal dead when I eat him. And I don't want it pink. And I sure don't want it rare. I want it dead. That's me. And there's a reason for that. Number one, I just don't like looks of that blood. If I want to eat blood, you know, I want to eat. But God says here, I've got a good biblical basis for that, okay? Flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood. So the life of the flesh is in the blood. You shall not eat. 
And uh, so he says, but every living liveth should be meat for you, even as the green herb. Verse number five. Now here's something that happened. The first, there's three institutions in the Bible God ordained. The home, that's in Genesis 2, okay? Then in Genesis 9, he ordained government, human government. That's a second institution. And then in the New Testament, he ordained the church. Amen. So you have the home and government and church. And these are institutions of authority that are given in Scripture. Right here is where God institutes human government. I want to remind you of something that up to this time, there were people killing each other and you saw no laws about this thing. Abel, I mean, Abel was killed by Cain, his brother, and Cain went off. And you have other people, but they killed people and they just went off and there wasn't a human government. And so these are dispensational areas where God tests men and man always fails. At this point, he's going to establish human government. Okay, right here. Now watch what the first thing human, and by the way, the Bible limits governments as to their authority. The United States government right now, about 90% of the authority that they exercise over people is not scriptural. Amen. And I, I'm sure many of you have went back maybe years ago when I preached on the, the, uh, about the unconstitutionality of so many of our bureaucracies in government. Yeah. And um, most of the agencies... And bureaucracies, the United States government, are unconstitutional, much less unbiblical. Amen. All right, now, but this is something God gives governments the power to do. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Watch verse number six. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Then he reinstates this thing of being fruitful and multiplying and bring forth abundantly uh, in the earth. So you have in eight, chapter 8 verse 20 where he builds an altar. He worships. And he worships the exact way God told him to through a blood sacrifice and substitution. to picture of Calvary. In chapter 8 verse 21, 22 you see God's faithfulness and it has been so. In chapter 9, God blesses Noah, and uh, God wants to bless your family too. He wants to bless my family. He wants to bless this church. God's a blesser, amen? amen. God doesn't enjoy uh, having to curse people. But um, anyway, he said, be fruitful. Children are a blessing, amen? amen. And uh, you see that twice there. Now we get into chapter two, 9 and verse number 2. He talks about the fear. What? Uh, here, uh, a year ago in June... Uh, Nathan and I was standing outside in the, right by the shop and Nathan had turned around and looked. He said, Dad, there's a bear. The first bear I ever saw here in the Ozarks and uh, that I was sure it was. And it was running across our hayfield. Well, we jumped in the buggy and ran over there and headed him off and ran. Nathan got a video of him and all this stuff, you know. But that bear, he did not want nothing to do with us. Why? Why didn't he just run straight at that side by side and attack us? It's right there in your Bible. Because God has put it into animals that have a natural fear. Now, wait a minute, I know people have been attacked by lions. Yeah, that's right. But uh, the normal situation is the animals have a tendency to want to avoid human beings and they'll run from you unless provoked or cornered or you're dealing with their baby bear cubs. And you don't want to do that. So anyway, so you have this deal there now. Uh, and then, so he institutes meat eating and uh, meat and vegetation in chapter three or chapter, verse number three of chapter nine. And I'm going to say something. I don't want to offend people today, but if the Bible offends you, I can't help it. There has been a historic connection between vegetarian diet and demonic powers. I want to remind you that we had the sons of God and great wickedness and demonism there before the flood. And they were on a vegetarian diet. Now you listen to me. If you want to just eat vegetables, I, do, I am not going to condemn you for that. I'm not against you for that. But I will tell you that historically there have been a lot of bad connections uh, in this issue. And it has somewhat to do with self-righteousness. But if you'll think about it in America right now, the organizations that are against, uh, that are animal rights activists, they're not a good bunch. They hate the Bible. They hate Jesus Christ. You got PETA and all the new, and, and whenever you get to where you're more concerned about a bat then you are a baby. You're messed up bad. In fact, you have demonic trouble. You have been demonically confused in your mind. You call evil good and good evil, and you're reprobate. And you see that all now. These people are going out here and to climb up a tree because they don't want a tree cut, but they're glad for you to kill a baby in a womb. They're messed up. Messed up bad. 
And so what you see is this, this spirit, uh, in fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, in uh, verses 1 through 9, the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, okay? Now, I want to move on up to chapter 9 and verse number 4 and get into this. I want to preach this morning on, on the death penalty, you say, Reggie, why would you want to preach on the death penalty? Well, how many figured out America is cr- pretty well crazy right now? And uh, people are becoming more and more violent, killing each other. And there's all kinds of nonsense going on. And our forefathers used to have a death penalty in this country. And when they had the death penalty, you didn't have to lock your doors nor pack a gun hardly or worry about somebody raping or assaulting your daughter or your wife when they instituted the death penalty. I have a photo in a book at home of the last hanging that occurred in Douglas County. And I think it was in the 1890s or early 1900s. And you couldn't you couldn't have squeezed yourself on that square. There's so many people there to watch that man being hung. He had murdered somebody and they hung him and uh, and used to they would dismiss school and encourage families to take their children to the hanging to learn something. Now I'm going to tell you, I will tell you something right now. There's a lot of ways to kill a man besides pulling the gun. David had a man killed and wasn't even there. But in essence, David murdered him. Okay. A lot of ways to kill people without just you being the one that perpetrates it. Now, God said here in verse number six, whoso sheddeth man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. He give it right there. The thing he's giving government the power uh, to execute people. All right. Now, uh, it teaches the sacredness of blood and it teaches you why in that verse. For in the image of God made he man. That takes you back to Genesis. So man is made the image of God. There's a sacredness to mankind. We're not to kill each other. So now I'm going to ask you a few questions. And you can be thinking and pondering on these as we take off. A man is in World War II. He's, he's flying a plane. The plane is loaded with bombs. And he's been told to fly into Germany over a major city in Germany over residential areas and drop those bombs. And in some of those German cities, they dropped so many bombs that, bombs that was, it was called firestorms occurred and which is, becomes a vacuum that just literally spreads the flames through the city. And in Dresden, there were 30,000 German civilians killed in the firebombing by American and British pilots dropping bombs. In Japan, before, long before Hiroshima and Nagasaki, we firebombed Tokyo and tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of Japanese people were incarcerated in firebombing which the flames so intense and so hot it just swept through those buildings. People had no, no opportunity. Were those men guilty of murder? And just kind of keep it all to yourself. A man sees your child, your five-year-old daughter, as happened up here in Springfield not too long ago or two or three years ago, a teacher of a the school in Springfield, coach, abducted a five-year-old girl, took her to his house, molested her, and killed her, and put her in a, a trash bag. Is he a murderer? A woman decides that she finds out that she's expecting, and she does not want that child. So she decides to have an abortion. And she gets a doctor and a clinic that will do it. And she has an abortion. Is the doctor and is that woman a murderer? And they'll also ask this question. Where is the father? Somebody breaks into your house. You wake up, they broke into your house, and you step into the hallway and you see a guy coming down through there with a knife. And you have a, a 45, ACP 45, and he looks threatening to your home and family. And you pull up and you shoot him between the eyes and his brain splatter across the hallway of your house 
and he drops dead in a pool of blood. Are you a murderer? And so we need to ask ourselves these questions because when you go into a court of America right now, there's all kinds of violations and mis- miscarriages of justice because we've left what the Bible teaches about these issues. Now, my daughter is in the Missouri legislature. My brother was in there. My father was in there. And every year up there, there are bills introduced that are contrary to the teaching of this book. Not just in this issue, but in many, many other issues. And I want to tell you something. We need people in positions of influence and law who know what the Bible teaches and have not been infected with the humanistic thinking that man can determine what's right and what's wrong. And what God wants the church to do is take the teachings of this book, rightly divided, not twisted and perverted. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to throw a hardball at you. David is, in the New Testament, is called a man after God's own heart. And yet David did some things, two things at least, that potentially could have put him under a death sentence. If, there's two, two ways to go about this. If you believe that he and Bathsheba committed adultery each on, with the other, that was a death sentence. If he raped Bathsheba, because the Bible does say that he took her and he lay with her, it does not say they lay together. And I always put the emphasis and always put the responsibility upon the man. But if he raped her, is he worthy of death? When he sent that letter with Joab to put Uriah in the forefront of the heat of the battle to have him killed, was he guilty of murdering a man and should he have had the death penalty? And why didn't he have the death penalty given him whenever he was confronted by the prophet Nathan? I want you to be thinking about this. Final question before we take off. You have a son and he gets messed up and he's just away from God and he's just in trouble. And he inadvertently gets running, let's say he's on drugs and he needs money for his drugs and he like one of the 10 most wanted men back in the 60s and 70s one of the most wanted men was a preacher from Tennessee. I don't have him know that. But in just a flip of his head, he went from preaching in a church to being one of the most ten wanted, FBI wanted men in the United States because he was at, and I won't go into the story, but here's what I want to tell you. Let's say that your son goes into a place of business, pulls out a pistol, has no intention of murdering anybody, demands money out of the thing, but the person keeping the store, the cashier, when, when comes out, pulls a gun and your son shoots him and kills that cashier there. I want to ask you a question. Should your son face the death penalty? And where would you be in a court of law if your son had killed somebody working in a, in a Dollar General store? You better read your Bible and you better find out where you're at on these things. Because I have noticed over years that people's theology change with their humanistic affections. And when that changes, then all kinds of vile perversions of justice. And right now, you're seeing it manifold itself in our nation. You have a president's son who has photos of all of his vile activities from prostitution to cocaine usage, evidence by witnesses of bribery and scandal on a level that makes Richard Nixon look like a Sunday school teacher. Just slapped on the wrist recently for things firearms offenses that would have sent you to the pen. Right? 
I know people personally that's been sent to the pen over firearms violation that wasn't near as bad as what Hunter Biden did. You're living in a nation right now. Now, you watch what I'm going to tell you. You may not like this, but I'm going to tell you what, exactly what's going on. You got a family. And they have children. And they're sending those children to an educational institute that totally leaves out this book as any guide for any issue of life. Amen. Coming out the other side of this government educational institute they have what's called a humanistic viewpoint world view God bless her heart Lord I tell you you talk about it breaks my heart just to thank you brother Ralph they have a humanistic world view in their 12 or 18 years of study the Bible has been considered irrelevant yep. right. yeah. it is never referred to as the basis for how we think what we believe or act it's considered archaic and we're, 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 we're absolutely since, the, since post World War II we are sending out of our educational system armies of young people who have not a world view through scripture, through the lens of scripture. They see the world through the lens of humanism. That the Bible has absolutely no place in culture. In fact, we're almost to be guarded against it that somehow or another it would be dangerous for you to have a biblical world viewpoint. And so these coming out of that system go into law, medicine, government, politics, whatever it might be, business, okay? And the whole concept of how we're going to operate is not based upon the Bible, but based upon humanism, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I do not need a Bible to tell me how to live. Let me show you the practical application of this. In, 1970, in 1962 and 3 there, the Supreme Court with judges who came out of secular institutions said the Bible is no longer to be read. Prayer, out. Ten years later in 1973, they just all of a sudden said it's all right to kill a baby in the womb. Life is not sacred. Man is not. We don't use the Bible anymore. We are gods. We will determine what's right and what's wrong. Now, we're in 2023. A male is not a male. A female is not a female. Sodomy is fine. Same-sex marriage is fine. And by the way, there's no such thing. I want to tell you same-sex marriage people, you're not married. Amen. You'll never be married. Amen. I want to tell you transgenders, you'll never be anything but male or female. Amen. So this thing progresses as we send out people with a secular mindset. They have no clue what the Bible teaches about anything. And the average person right now coming out of this system does not believe in the death penalty. And when you don't believe in the death penalty, you're getting ready to go into a noic situation of constant violence and living in fear. Now I want to tell you something. It did me good to go to Philadelphia here a while back. Not driving up through there and I'm just seeing the fear that these people are living in. They're clustered into their apartments. They don't come out. They can't let their kids out. They won't let their, if they had a yard four feet wide, they don't let their kids out unless somebody snatch them. They're, where now gangs wait till they get home from supper and wait till the family would sit down and eat even if it's in the living room around the, uh, around the TV and wait for them to have plates of food in their laps or on the table and they knock the door through, rob them 
you're not even safe in your own home. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You ain't seen nothing. It is unreal to me how the framework of how they've surrendered themselves to live. To live in constant fear. And constant worried about if they're going to get robbed, knocked in the head, car stolen, stabbed. Then you go down to the area there. All kinds of people living under cardboard boxes. Needles everywhere. Syringes everywhere. Naked people there. Dead people laying there. Let me just tell you something. When you abandon this book. And it is not the basis of life. And law. And conduct. You are opening yourself up. And so now. What's the Supreme Court doing? And what, what is uh, legislative doing? I mean, constantly wanting to legalize that which God forbids. It is critical for a church to affect its nation and its government and its laws. But it must be based upon the law of Almighty God. So now, guys, if you put up Exodus chapter 21, we're going to look at what the Bible. Now, God is establishing human government, civil body, body politic. And uh, restraint and control over sinful man. That's what this is all about. So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 21. And you might want to write down these verses. and say, Is the death penalty a, a right and, and, uh, and holy and, and good? It is. Exodus chapter 21. Let's look at verse number 12 through 14. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put to death. Verse number 14, guys, 12, if you want to put that up there, guys. Thank you. He that smiteth a man so that he die, he shall surely be what? Look at the word surely. Surely. Just recently, a guy got off of a murder charge with insanity here in Missouri. Claimed to be insane. That's a very popular thing used by attorneys now. Let me say another thing. When you go through a law school to learn to be an attorney and all you're learning how to do is get people off of stuff that they shouldn't have done to start with, you're so perverted, you're so messed up. Can I go further and say, and any of your attorneys want to listen to me, you listen to me. If you're an attorney, you should not do divorce cases. It's against God's law. So he says there in verse 12, He that smiteth a man, so that he die, he shall surely be put to death. Now watch this. And if a man lay not in, lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then will I appoint thee a place where he shall flee. Now they had uh, the cities of refuge where accidental death, not premeditated murder people could flee from. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. God said, no mercy. The altar was a place of mercy. God said, Joab ran, Joab, when he was sentenced to death, ran to the altar and grabbed hold of the horns of the altar as an act of wanting mercy. And they took him, took him from the altar, just like your Bible said. They said, there's no mercy here. Okay? There's a time you don't extend mercy. Verse number, look at verse number 15. And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. That means this. Ben, my son is sitting over here. Ben come out to my house, got ticked off at me and, and hit me. According to Old Testament law, he should be put to death. My father, Garnet Kelly, if I would have got ticked at him and popped my hand in his face, God said that is so severe that you'll die for it. God is not joking when he says to honor thy father and thy mother. Because I'll tell you something, what you're doing, by the way, you're, you're saying life isn't sacred. You're dishonoring the structure of authority. I mean, God knows if you mess that structure of authority up, you'll mess your culture up. Nobody wants nobody to tell them what to do. I'm going to show you how perverted we are right now. January 6th, 2020, right? Well, them Democrats like to make a national holiday out of this. But it's come out now that there were several federal agents in that crowd instigating the violence that did take place. Now, this is coming out. It's a, it's a conspiracy Facebook junk. This is real now because they're, they're, I'm telling you what, we're, we're on the verge of either maybe holding back or, or getting run over with absolute chaotic filth. I mean, this, this is 
but I'm, I'm just saying this, that you've got a situation where violence, those people are made out, they're being sentenced anywhere from now from five to 20 years in prison. But people on the BLM deal that went and killed people and slaughtered people and burned the place down are being pl- applauded as some kind of protection of the freedom. You've got an upside down justice system. Antifa. That kind of junk. All right, let's go to verse number 14 there. He this, he, verse number 16, watch this. He that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. That's slave trafficking. Right. You know what that means? That every man in the United States or anywhere else that bought a slave and trafficked in slavery was under the death penalty himself. Right. Yeah. How do you like them apples? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you say you don't know about that. Well, let me ask you this. The movie out now, and I'm going to go watch it because everybody, what is that, uh, Sound of Freedom? Yeah. It's about sex trafficking and child trafficking in America. And I'm going to tell you, this is what, beyond abortion and beyond, and beyond uh, vile perversion. The, the trafficking of children is going to bring the wrath of Almighty God upon this country. And God is having mercy right now. And I'll tell you, isn't it amazing that all the liberals are hating this movie? Yeah. Can you imagine anybody hating a movie that shows how children are being trafficked and and used in this country and around the world? What kind of mind would be against anybody doing that? But I'm going to tell you something right now. Buying people and selling people is a death penalty case in God's book. Like it or lump it. Amen. Verse number 17. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Wow. Now I'm going to tell you some good news. You're going to see this implemented on the earth during the millennial reign. Amen. Millennial reign, he will rule with a rod of iron. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. There ain't going to be no schools in millennial reign that teach an evolution. I can promise you that. There will not be a school in millennial reign that will not have the Bible as the basic textbook of all learning. Okay, now let's go to Exodus chapter 22 and verse number 3. Everybody get this. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die... There shall no blood be shed for him. I asked you the question a while ago. God breaks in your house. He's got a knife. You shoot him. You're not guilty of murder. And I want to say something to people. You get away from some of you liberals listen to me. And you think it's wrong to have guns and pack guns. I'm going to tell you something. You're messed up. You've been perverted by the liberals already. You ought to protect your, your wives. You ought to protect your children and your property. And you have a right to do that from the Bible. Amen. Amen. And I don't like your kind of preaching. Well, there's other churches to go to around here. You won't hear it. So, you know, I guess you up yourself. But I, I, I've been too long. I'm not, I'm not in the popularity business. I'm probably about the most hated guy in Wright County right now. But that's fine. Because I'm going to tell you something. Judgment's coming fast and quick. And I want to be on the side of God. And I don't want to be mean about it, but it's just the truth. Uh, Chapter 20, verse number 2, verse number 3. If the sun be risen upon him, there there shall be blood shed for him. For he should make full restitution. In other words, he didn't die and the sun rises on him, make restitution. I know a man right now that just spent 12 or 13 years in prison for burglary. That's a crime in itself. Amen. You should not be put in prison for a penitentiary for stealing. You should be made to pay restitution. In some cases, fourfold. In some cases, fivefold. Whatever situation the Bible will tell you exactly. But if you steal from people, you should have to be made pay restitution. That'll get you out of the stealing business. There are some things in the Bible that you're to have stripes for. I'm going to tell you something. I said, we just can't stop drugs in our county. You turn me loose with this Bible, I'll stop the drug traffic in Wright County in three weeks. Amen. The first time them drug heads see somebody back toward the shreds on a, on a whipping post over here in the Wright County courthouse, they're going to get out of the drug selling business. <coughs> you can stop it. By the way, it could be made a case that you're a murderer if you sell drugs. Fentanyl. Right? Go to Leviticus chapter 24. Oh, we're having a good time now, aggravating the devil. Amen. 
Leviticus 24. I've had people say, Reggie, I like what you preach. I just don't like the attitude you preach it in. I'm sorry about that. I don't mean to preach it in a bad attitude. I'll try to smile while I preach it. Amen. <laughs> but, but you know what? This stuff is serious. It's going to affect the safety of your home, the, the pleasantness of your life. How many's ever been stole from? Isn't that a sweet thing? We had 33 guns stole out of our house one Sunday night while I was here preaching at church. Got home, they just, I mean, tore our house to shreds. Oh now, I want to tell you something. It put me in a bad mood for a long time. Yeah. The guns, I can get by with that. But you going all through my house, yeah. opening every drawer, throwing everything out in the middle of every, leaving every door in the house open. At least if you're going to steal from me, shut the door when you leave. Amen. <laughs> no, I'm just Look at chapter 17, or chapter 24, verse 17. He that killeth any man shall what? Surely be put to death. Wait just a minute. Your son killed a guy at the general store, dollar store. And he starts telling you all kinds of lies about how come he did it. Your little boy wouldn't lie. He's a good boy. Oh, sure. He does a few things, that's, you know, but he's a good boy at heart. Could I, can I tell you the worst kind of idolatry I know of going on in America? It's child worship. That's right. Child worship. My kid's just not capable of doing those terrible things. Uh, verse 21, that same chapter. He that killeth the beast, he shall restore it. He that killeth a man, he shall be put to death. Now, I, I kind of take from that that a man's got more value than a beast. And I know the animal rights activists don't believe that, but that's true. Leviticus chapter 20. Let's go back to chapter 20, verse number 2. I want to show you something here. Again, thou shalt say to the children of Israel, whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Egypt, that giveth any of his seed unto Moloch, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Molech was a god, had brass arms down there in the valley of Hemen. And the pagans were doing that when Israel came into land. And they were like America. They were taking their babies because babies were an inconvenience to them and they really couldn't afford them. But they sure didn't want to stop their pleasure. So the way to have pleasure without responsibility is figure out a way to get rid of the babies. And what a wonderful way to get rid of babies is to have a worship service where you kill them. And they would throw, and I, I, don't, I haven't ever seen one of these. I've seen a lot of different photos of them. But they had arms that stuck out. It was a calf with horns. Okay? And a half man, half beast creature. Go back to Sons of God, very Genesis. And that thing was burning hot. Had fire built in it. Almost like an oven. And it had an empty place in here. And they put that, and what they claim is, I don't know this, I've seen one, but it had springs built into it. When you threw the baby, when the priest, you gave it to the Baal priest, Baal, you gave it to the Baal priest, and he would toss it into the burning arms of that god Molech. And then those arms, they tripped that spring and it would throw it down inside the interior of it and burn the child alive. Incinerate him living. And you'd hear the screams of the babies. Wow. To appease Baal. Now, I'm not going there this morning, but America is a Baal-worshipping country right now. Total Baal worship in this country. And parents are still giving their children to Baal. Now, the abortion industry is all about Baal worship. Giving your children to a, to a, a wicked God so that you can go on and live your pleasure without any responsibility. And the last thing you'll ever have is love. But anyway, let's go to chapter 20. We did verse number two and, uh, through, and let's continue on. Verse number four. And if the people land do anyways hide their eyes from the man when he giveth his seed to the Moloch and kill him not, then I'll sit in the face against that man. He said, if you know that this is going on and you don't do anything about it and say anything about it, I'll hold that you accountable for that. And against his family will cut him off and all that go whoring after him to commit whoredom with Moloch among their people. What, what's, uh, let's go into verse number nine. J- jump down to church, verse number nine. For everyone that cursed his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He that cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. That is serious stuff, folks. Amen. You say, well, I don't cuss mom and dad, but. Watch verse number 10. The man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, 
the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, in John chapter 11, what happened? Wasn't it John chapter 11? They bring the woman caught in, the very, in adultery in the very act, right? And they said, Moses said to stone her. That was a lie. Moses said to stone both of them if you caught both of them. He didn't say just take one of them. So they were doing what? Twisting the word of God to suit their morality and their perversion of justice. So they were taking the woman. They said, she's been caught in adultery. Stone her. Moses said, stone her. Jesus said, no. And so you go back to Leviticus there and you find out that is not true at all what those stinking Pharisees said. They were perverting justice. Okay. Now let's go to David for just a minute. David had a Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, was one of David's 33 mighty men. He's the last one listed of the 33 mighty men. You know what that tells me? David, he was a neighbor of David. David, by the way, he saw her on a rooftop. That's pretty close distance, unless he had a telescope or glasses. So he commits adultery. Now the Bible says he took her. Now I'm going to still tell you that I think there's a little vagueness in scripture that I'm not going to try to read into it what's not there. But there is the indication that he took her. When the king called you in, in, those, in those kind of monarchies, you didn't have a issue. I don't tell I ain't coming. You're coming. Or they'll take you. Just be like you bit in a rain for court right now. It's just like if you want to be a witness in a court case and they send you a deal to show up for witness, you don't show up. They'll send a, a, the deputy out to get you at your house the day of that trial and they'll, they'll make you go to Hartville to be a witness. Okay? So there is authority and there's power with that. So David commits adultery with her. Uh, she conceives. He's trying to cover it up. He has Uriah killed. So he's getting multiple layers of death sentence built into his life. But God sends a man by the name of Nathan. Now here's what I'm going to hammer on this for a little bit because I want to tell you something. In our law, it says that you've got to prove a man guilty before a jury of his peers beyond, beyond a reasonable Beyond reasonable doubt. The trouble with that is that it leaves up to human thinking what's reasonable doubt. To one person, reasonable doubt might be different to another person, reasonable doubt. Okay, now, and our our justice system was founded on biblical principles. Now, I'm going to throw it. Can anybody tell me why did Nathan, when God sent him to David, why did Nathan not say, get ready to die, David, because... You're getting ready to have the death sentence put on you. Why did he not get that done? Just think for a little bit. He was a man after God's own heart, and he was able to, God knew that he would repent and turn from his sin. There's a lot to that, but I don't, I really don't think it's the reason, but there's a lot to it. We're going to get into which that brings in, you're, you're actually getting ahead of me, <laughs> in the issue of mercy. I'm going to tell you about God. You know what God said? That he would rather have mercy than sacrifice. And that's, he's, he's not off on what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about. I'll tell you that. Because God does not want to execute you and I with law. God wants to give you and I mercy and grace. And the attitude in which we have in response to his rebuke and his demand of repentance, which David did have a good response, has a lot to do as to whether you're going to get mercy or not. But... God could have said, David, you're guilty. Right. Yeah. Right. Death. Now, I want to let you think about something. Let's say that you're no uh, common Joe out here works uh, 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 somewhere and you hear about David. But you, you commit adultery and you got found out and got caught and they drag you out and stone you. But David don't get stoned. What's going on? Well, I'm going to try to be brief with this. Tell you real quick what's going on. As far as we know, nobody could have done Leviticus 20.10 with David because probably nobody saw it. And you had to be a witness and you could not be stoned to death without the witnesses of two or three witnesses. That's why you don't hardly ever see in any situation in the Bible anybody being stoned for adultery because nobody saw it. That's why people, normally speaking, do that in very secretive, dark places. Okay, but I'm going to say something to you. This is very close to my heart, and I'm going to get a little tough here. Okay, David did not escape the death penalty. 
In fact, he got worse than the death penalty. He had four kids. He, he didn't really get loosened. Can I tell you something? I'm just, I'm just going to tell you flat truth. I've, I've said this before. Jersey, I'm going to say. There was a time in my life when I let Satan implant lust in my heart for a woman besides my wife. Okay? And I never touched her in but it was there. And I was going through great spiritual warfare. And in the sequence of that deal, when, when that all, when the Lord brought all that, you know, got that, get it cleaned up for me, I'm going to tell you what I did. I went out into my pasture and I knelt in hay that deep. About a quarter mile from my house and I got on my knees and I said, God, I've never touched another woman since the day I got married there, but in my heart, in my mind, there was adultery. And Lord, I am asking you to not visit this upon my children. Okay. And if anybody's going to die with this, let it be me. And I meant it. And I still mean it today. Because Jesus said, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already. That's just a fact. Now, I hope you've never done that. But I have. Okay. So this brings us down to something more. If Jesus said it's not just a physical act, right. but it's in the heart. Right. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you ask yourself today, have I ever committed that sin that Jesus said is adultery? Am I worthy of death? And I will tell you this. I knew that David paid far more than his. I, I can almost guarantee you that David would rather have died himself. Amen. And I want to tell you why I know that. Because when Absalom, whom he loved with everything in his heart, when he died, David was upon that place and he bowed himself. And you can, if there's ever a wail in Scripture, if you want to hear somebody wail in Scripture, Oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom. Oh, Absalom, would to God I had died for thee. Let me tell you, parents, a little wisdom today. You get yourself messed up. Get yourself out of sorts with God. I'd encourage you to uh, say, Lord, don't visit my children with this. Because the Bible said the iniquities of the fathers are visited upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation. Now it's quiet in this church house. Amen. All right. Some of you may say, well, if I knew that about you, I would never come to church here. I don't blame you. I wouldn't go to where I preach either. <laughs> it's about the truth. Let's go on down through verse number 10. Uh, verse number 11. And the man that lieth with his father's wife hath uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. His blood shall be upon his hand. If a man lie with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have wrought confusion. Their blood shall be upon on them. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. They shall surely be put to death. And I told you why a few weeks ago, why the sodomite crowd, the gay crowd, quote, does not have any confidence in the church because we've got a different level of standard. We've got a different standard for them than we have for ourselves. And they know it. They, we're selective in what we believe is wrong. Yeah. Verse number 14, if a man take a wife and her mother and it's wickedness, they shall be burnt with fire, both he and they. There, there be no wickedness among you. If a man lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall slay the beast. If a woman approach unto any beast, lie down there too. Thou shalt kill the woman and the beast. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. These are things that God says are worthy. Go to Numbers chapter 35. Numbers chapter 35. Numbers chapter 35, verse number 11. We're not going to spend a lot of time here except to say that this is the deal about the cities of refuge where a man killed a person not intentionally or presumptuously 
and the uh, manslayer, it was a relative one to avenge blood on them. They could run into these cities, and when they got there, they had to stay there to the death of the high priest. Then they could come out. There's a lot to that. We won't go into, uh, but it's in verse number 30 there. I believe it's in verse number 30. It says, Whoso killeth any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of the witnesses. But one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. You need at least two witnesses in a murder case. Now, I'm going to tell you something. What you get into here, though, is, is uh, circumstantial evidence or tangible physical evidence, such as DNA and on and on it goes, okay? But if you're going to have witnesses, you, gotta, you can't just charge somebody and, and they've got to be proven with, on, with, with reasonable doubt. Uh, verse number 31, Moreover, you shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer, which is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. Uh, we talk about now when you get into Romans chapter 13 and talk about New Testament governmental authority, it said he beareth not the sword in vain. Anybody know what that phrase means? He beareth not the sword in vain. What's sword for? Putting people to death. And so the New Testament just confirms the death penalty. All right. Jesus never rescinded the law. He did expose and rebuke perversion and misuse of the law and the twisting of the law. But he did demonstrate that justice was to be balanced with mercy. Now, without a biblical base of law, both on the books and in the heart. Now, let me tell you the beauty of Christianity. The beauty of Christianity is that it's just not law on paper. When the Spirit of God moves into a man's heart and he's born of the Spirit of God, God writes the, his laws upon his heart. And he has a desire to obey the laws of God. He will still fight his flesh. He will still fail. But his desire, that spirit man in him wants to obey the laws of God. They are not encumbering to him. He is thankful for them. How many wants to live in an America where, every, where uh, everybody can just uh, shoot you and take your family and shoot you and take your wife and, and just live in total chaos? There's no, there's no authority, no order. That's what this is all about. All right. Now, thugs and tyrants uh, can rule and oppress. We right now have an oppressive tyrannical government going on right now that's no no consideration for the constitution and uh, but lawbreakers must face retribution just and swiftly now in ecclesiastic it said in ecclesiastic well, i may get to that a little bit later but let me just say something to you uh death penalty is a deterrent to crime it is one of the reasons you taxes are so much because we're paying for penitentiary. Brother Brandon works as penitentiary. I wouldn't have a clue what that penitentiary costs. Would you, Brandon, to run? Um, so I heard like in Licking, the electric bill alone is like $400,000 a month. Wow. Electric bill alone over at Licking, 400000 a month. I think it's like $25 per inmate per day. $25 per inmate per day. This is what it costs to house them. Maybe wow. A little bit more now. Crime is very, very expensive to a nation. All right. And uh, anyway, uh, it's a deterrent. But you know what? If it was, somebody says, well, it's not a deterrent. But it is. Right. If it's done right. But you can't let somebody sit in a cell for 19 years. Right. The Bible said because sentence is not swiftly, speedily executed, the hearts of men are set to do evil. I can get away with it. There's really not going to be any punishment for it. But here's the final analysis. It's not what I might believe about a deterrent is. It's what does God's word say? God says that a government has a responsibility in some criminal cases to execute the death penalty. All right. How many knows how long it was the assassins of President Lincoln, how long, how many days it was till they were hung? Not very many. Study it up. I, don't, I can't remember right now how many days. It wasn't very many. And uh, so God ordained and empowered human governments to provide protection, order to the people. Now in the preamble of our constitution, it says this, being endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, that means rights that the government doesn't give you that God gave you. Okay, we the people of the United States in order to do something number one to form a more perfect union secondly the second thing in the constitution was to establish justice not fairness but justice thirdly ensure domestic tranquility so you could go to town without worrying about getting robbed 
leave your house doors open, ensure domestic tranquility. Fourthly, to provide for the common defense. And fifthly, to promote the general welfare, not individual, but general welfare. Sixthly, to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to posterity. Now, we just got through with July the 4th. How many knows the difference between liberty and freedom? Liberty is freedom within the bounds of God's law. It's even in a patriotic song that we sing. God, uh, America, uh, uh, self-control. Anyway, somebody want to look it up. But liberty is living within the bounds of God's word. Freedom is construed as doing what I want to do. That's why I'm not a libertarian. Libertarians believe all you want to smoke pot. Can I just stop and say something? I'll not be nobody in this church smoke pot. I'll not be anybody in this church drink. I'll not be anybody in this church watch pornography. If we want domestic tranquility, we want a blessing in our homes and our families, we need to stay away from that junk. And I'm going to say right now publicly, every place that sells beer and wine and liquor in this state, county, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You know what you're doing to families and individuals? Every place that sells pot. We were in Springfield last night, went up to the hospital, going through there and carrying that. You know what all we could see going down the streets? Cannabis this and cannabis that, and vaping this and vaping that. And you kids don't need to be vaping nothing. Amen. You say, oh, I hate your guts and I get away from home. I'll never be around here. Help yourself. Slide yourself to hell if you want to. But I'm probably one of the few people that honestly loves you enough to tell you. Stay away from that garbage. Amen. Don't do no. What you, we're talking about Noah. Yeah. Gets himself drunk. You know what, what it says about Noah when he got drunk? He naked. That always has go together. Liberty is living within the, it's freedom within the bounds of God's law. I am not free to steal your truck. I am not free to steal your wife. So anyway, but these things can be violated. In our country, by the way, notice the first thing that said in the Constitution of the preamble said a more perfect union. Do you know what your founder fathers knew? It wasn't perfect. Had flaws. The Constitution, by the way, is not the Bible. But no inconsistency and no perversion of justice negates the authority of God's word on any subject. God's word teaches capital punishment. It's not only permissible, but it's required of human governments. (laughs) Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of sons of men is fully set on the you Somebody says, wait a minute, Reggie, what if somebody got sentenced but they weren't really, they found out 15 years later they were innocent. You have things like, you, it's not God doing it, it's human beings. There are mistakes made. Okay, but that doesn't say we throw the whole justice system out of the window. Those who try to deny and oppose the fact of civil government and the God-given responsibility of empowering the government with the death penalty usually also deny God's ultimate death penalty. Now, let me say something to you. How many knows in this building, I've been preaching on the death penalty this morning. Did you know we're all in a death penalty? Wages of sin is death. I want to ask you a question. Does God believe in the death penalty? Revelation chapter 20, those who did not repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and accept his sacrifice were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. God himself executes the death penalty for rebellion against God Almighty. And by the way, there's no exceptions. No exceptions. Except a man be born again, he shall not end the kingdom of heaven. I'm telling you, God believes in the death penalty. And there's a way worse, there's a way worse death penalty than being electrocuted or being injected with poison. That's when God tells you, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a reason in the Bible why God said they were cast into the lake of fire. Are you listening to me right now? You may be hearing religious, but not saved or listening. This says they were cast into the lake of fire. You know what that means? They were taken forcibly, physically, and Pulled against their will and cast into the lake of fire. Why? Because they do not want to go there. Have you ever thought in your mind what it would be to be cast into the lake of fire? What you would be doing while they were throwing you in the lake of fire? You said, I don't believe the Bible. That's your problem. You're the first one on the list of Revelation 21 verse number 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving shall have their part in the lake of fire which burneth forever and ever. 
And I want to say this to you, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you can be saved and you don't have to have the death penalty. And it's not because God is fair, it's because God is just, because Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and satisfied that death penalty. He took the death penalty so you could go free. Amen. I hope you'll do that. Let's stand together. I preach along.